the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Dennis Prager and Julie Hartman. It's Dennis and Julie. No question in my mind there is nothing like this in American media. I can't say there's nothing like this in the world's media, because how would I know? Maybe in Tibet they have this age difference and two different sexes uh, and talking about the most honest things in life. But if I had to bet on it, this is unique. Well, I would like to say that in addition to this show being unique, what's really unique is this candy, which, by the way, this seems like an ad. It's not. I mean, I guess it is. It sort of is an ad for this, but we're not getting paid to advertise this. Right. Dennis gave me this candy before the show, or more aptly, I stole it from his pile here. You didn't steal it. I heard you say, may I take one? I said, may I take one as I was taking one? That's true. This is so good. Is it? That are these, is hilarious. So it's, it's a sucking candy. Yeah. It's a Regal Crowns. It's like sour yeah, candy. That, oh, they have sour apple, uh, lemon. This is grape. They have cherry. I, I know of four flavors. Is this the same as the cinnamon candy that, that you no, have? No, that's Reed's. Okay, so I know that this is not what we're probably going to talk about today <laughs> because we talk about it all the time. But speaking of hobbies. Yes. So... I ha- I just want to let you know, give you a little update and give the audience a little update. I have become so into classical art because of Robert Florzak. Oh, wow. Looking, just uh. looking up pieces of classical art and zooming in. And there's this really cool app. Yes. And by the way, this is apropos, not just of our conversation about hobby hobbies, but sober fun. Right. So there's this app called Google Arts and Culture, and you can zoom into a painting. They, they scan. And these- they comment on it? Is there commentary? I'm sure there or, is commentary, uh-huh. but what's cool about it is you can take like a, a Peter Bruegel pay, piece, excuse me, and zoom in up like to a centimeter close. It's amazing. That's number one. Another sober hobby, of course. Oh, God. Bingo. Congrats. Now I'm forgetting what it is. I have another sober ho- hobby that I've been. Oh, oh, fountain ink pens. I've been researching fountain ink pens more. Thanks to that time at your house where we had so much fun so looking at I them. So I was thinking, should I just, I, I want to buy you one. I so, know. Thank okay. you. All right. Well, okay. I wouldn't say it to show I'm a great guy, but th- you're welcome. I, I want to buy you one, and I asked you two months ago to choose one from a staggering assortment. So you did. Since, <laughs> right. No, 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 no. It's not, it's not, I'm not blaming you. It's enormous. Maybe I should just buy you one, a starter. You'll get used to it, and then you'll have a better idea of what what you want. I mean, you are the expert. But, I am the expert. But the reason why I bring this up, A, of course, to update you, and B, just now I was thinking, 
I should make it a hobby to try different fun candies. It seems like that's sort of your clandestine hobby. How did you discover reeds, cinnamon, well, right. and, and so this? Here's, here, knowing your own nature is fun, unless you have really dark sides. But it, it, basically, we all have non-noble sides, right. not necessarily really dark. But anyway, uh, uh, you, I hadn't thought of that as a hobby, but... I have massive joy in trying new things and seeing which I like the most. I do that with cigars. Everybody asks me who cares about this, what's your favorite cigar? And I have a good answer. What's your favorite food? Because there's no answer to that. There's no answer to what is your favorite food. And even if there were, let's say you said ice cream. Right. You wouldn't eat ice cream every day. You'd get sick of it. So I don't want to smoke the same cigar every day. Mm. Uh, and I write with different pens. I, I so, but in any event, you're right. To come to the one you now love, I have gone through. I've kissed a lot of frog-like uh, sucking candies. They're good for the throat. They're they're they leave a good taste in your mouth. It's virtually zero calories. Really, they're zero cows. Show people the size of it. How yeah, much, but hey, yeah. How much, you can, how much sugar could there be in one well, of Well, okay, this is very interesting. How many calories do you think is in a single Hershey's Kiss? Okay, hold on. I, I pay attention to that. Let me guess. A single Hershey's Kiss calories? Oh, I can't. You, you're, you're asking it as if there are a lot, and I don't believe that. I, I believe that there are 50 calories. Oh, no, there are just 20. Oh, yeah, okay. I well, think so, that's a oh. lot. <laughs> You think that's a lot? For I mean, Hershey's Kisses are tiny, and I eat like 50 of them in one sitting. 50 oh, well, times 20 thousand, is 1,000 yeah, okay. calories. Oh, if you eat 50. And I do. I'll, I'll, I'll eat two. Well, mazel tov. So you're right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> mazel tov. I know. People are probably thinking I'm saying that because you're Jewish. <laughs> As like a... You, you would say it to anybody. I would say... I, 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 I end that. the show with shalom. I, I end know, her phone I, calls I with shalom. That's right. She's not, and she's not even Jewish. No, but I'm I'm Julie. Right, J-E-W. Listen to this. So I had a very interesting subject on my happiness hour, the last happiness hour I did. It was it, it was a remember I've done over a thousand of them. It's isn't that amazing? A thousand hours on happiness. And rarely is the topic philosophical. It's like, you know, what do you do with an obnoxious relative or um, can you be happier than a, a, a miserable child? I mean, mm-hmm. all, the whole thing. Okay. Expectations. But this one, I took a subject that I had done a few times on my Ultimate Issues Hour where I take some grand concept and apply it to life. And I said, this, this however, affects happiness. If you think people are basically good, you will be a less happy human being. Oh, completely. Oh, you agree? Oh, of course. When you ask me what, if I am happier as a result of becoming conservative, my answer is yes for many reasons. But one of the ones that I list is that I, I have come to understand the tragic nature of life. Instead of trying to resist it and pretend like it doesn't exist, as many on on the left do, it's paradox. It paradoxically makes you happier when you when you understand 
the realities of life that may make you uncomfortable. For instance, we were talking about sexuality on this show a few times ago. Is it uncomfortable to talk about male sexuality? Of course. Do I wish males were built differently so they wouldn't be so, you know, promiscuous and sexual? Yes. But you're... I am happier for accepting it and then trying to figure out how to deal with it than doing what the left does, which is, oh, that doesn't exist, or that's toxic masculinity, or women have the same proclivity to sex as men do. So I totally agree with you. That's a very good example. I may use that on the happiness hour or or a male-female hour. I mean, I've done it a lot of times, male sexual nature. But in terms of you are... It's bad news the first time and the second and even maybe third time you mull it over if you're a woman. Right. But over time, you can you are a much happier woman because you then understand. You can't – it is not true ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss for a certain period of time. Right. But not over a lifetime. And also – I, I guess true ignorance is bliss, but but with regard to ma- male sexuality, no one is really fully ignorant of it. Uh-huh. The, they're trying; right. they they know they, to they an extent to that be. it exists, but they're trying to push themselves away. Right. So here's the other one. That's that's a perfect example. And the the one I was talking about on the happiness hour was human nature is not basically good. I always have to add it for people to who do not follow my point clearly. I'm not saying we're basically evil. If we were basically evil, then there would be no good people. Right. I mean, so, but we're not basically good. I mean, that, that's so clear and obvious. And why does it make you happier? So I gave three reasons. This you'll like. Okay. This is how my brain thinks always. Well, oh, there, I know. there are three. There are fourteen. There are, like in my commentary of the, of the Bible, I have, I think, 18 reasons why the Torah changed the world. You Well, for every chapter, you have five reasons, for, you know, or three it's reasons. Always, for, yes, yeah, that's yeah, how that's you organize. How, and that, it's really, really effective. Very effective. And it helps. For retention. Uh, it, right. Exa- oh, exactly. So why will it make you happier? One is you are far less likely to be constantly disappointed by people. If you if you assume people are basically good, you'll just keep getting smacked in the face by life. If you don't assume people are basically good, then not not only are you less frequently disappointed, you are far more frequently exhilarated. Oh, I met a good person. Wow, am I lucky. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number two, if you know pe- human nature is not basically good, you will fight your own nature. And you can't be happy if you don't fight your own nature. And number three is knowing human nature is flawed, you'll give your friends, your your spouse, slack. You'll understand, I can't, I, I can't, there's no such thing as a friend who's perfect or a spouse who's a perfect person. You could, They could be great and terrific, and, and I have one, but there's no such thing, even I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm joking, of course I'm not perfect. But my my point is, when you realize what human nature is, back to your subject, you're gonna you'll find this fascinating. I said on one or more of my male female hours, if your husband has the opportunity to be unfaithful, like he takes a lot of business trips, let's say, and he's faithful, periodically just say, Honey, I wanna I want you to know you're you're being faithful. 
doesn't go unnoted by me. I don't take it for granted. That's very interesting. You know, a lot of women would react differently than I am right now. They would, they would, oh, they would love it. Oh, oh my God. They would say, so should I thank my husband for not beating me? That's correct. That is exactly what they would say. Yes. And I, I take your point. I take your point. And it's hard. That's to your credit. Well, look, as as we were talking about last week, you know, when I had that great dinner with Anne where we were talking, Anne is a friend of mine and Dennis introduced me to her uh, through through the Torah Minion. And we were talking, we were disagreeing about the situation in Ukraine and she has relatives who are in Ukraine and from Ukraine and she wasn't getting emotional. I just kept thinking I will, I am never, not that I ever struggled with this, but but her behavior during that day, dinner made such an impression on me, and I thought, just I am never wow, ever ever going to react with emotion right away. And so, I, again, I take your point. I, I think it's it's true. I mean, but look, there's also a line because I don't think you should go, "Hey, honey, thank you for not beating me." You know? Well, nobody would say that. Of course, got to be nuts. So I guess well, what's the? It's not built into men to to beat to beat their wives. I mean that it, it is in well, some men. It, it, it is. You're right, but it is also very cultural. It, it, some cultures, it's the norm. Well, I'll give you a, a counter Let's put it example. This way. I have to fight. I'm a male. I fight to be faithful. I don't fight not to beat my wife. Right. Well, I'll give you a counter example, which also may take off some women, but whatever. <laughs> Let me take you off right now. A, a man should similarly say to a woman, you know, when 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 they're in a fight or when they're maybe out to dinner with another couple and the couple said something unkind to the woman, you know, maybe the the husband would say, "Honey, I appreciate that you kept your emotion in check." That's right. Right? Absolutely. Because it's something that you're that you right. struggle or, or, with. Or let's say she she uh, uh having her period affects her mood. Right. But she doesn't take it out on you. It's worth saying, you know, I I know this is, you know, not the best time of the month for you. But I gotta salute you for the way you're acting. Just as you would say, and I and I understand that it's different, but it but it is not dissimilar to saying to an alcoholic, "I recognize that yes. you are being very strong right now That's by not right. having this drink." That's exactly correct. Boy, it's so interesting. Now you <laughs> you've inspired me. I want to go say that line to a bunch of women and see how they react. I think it would be awesome. It'd be very, very revelatory, even if you disagree with it. And by the way, I mean, I, I think I agree with you. I'm not entirely sure, I, I, but I do take your point. Even if they disagree with you, they have no right to be angry by that statement or well, well, they, upset. So it'd they, be interesting to see it. if they would. They mock it right. with, the, with the line that they will often say, oh, you're going to thank, thank them uh, periodically for not beating you? Right. L- like they're analogous. So back to my, my thing on, on not on human nature you agree with uh, me oh uh, uh, you mean on that we're happier for accepting yes. our human nature of yes. course and and especially with what you said for for point number two that you fight your nature better i know i've said this a lot but it's it's something that i'm i'm reminded of every day i love being able to identify malignant parts of my nature and then realize that i can change it I think that is that, I feel like that's like skydiving. I feel like that's the coolest most empowering thing in the world. The other day it was this past weekend I really wanted to just like take a break and now be you lazy. Know why this is Dennis and Julie. It's and it's not true. just Dennis alone. It's How many people of any age would say what you're saying, let alone at 23? I mean, I take that and I appreciate it, but but another part of me is like how does someone else not see that this is such that, a cool yes, thing? Yes, you would think that. It's again, right. And, I know. By uh, that's what <laughs> 
Uh, uh, it's fun. Again, the, the, <laughs> the parallels of our thinking blow my mind. So I, I looked at it like this. It, it's so much fun to explore. This is what I said at your age to myself. It is so great that we're exploring outer space. Just as great is to explore inner space. I totally. I do deep totally. diving into you. I think that's why I really and and it may be a nice segue. I brought some questions today uh, to to ask Dennis, which is by the way, it's not lost on me how amazing it is that I get to read this book. I read this book years ago. I didn't know you, and now I'm sitting here having a show with you, and I get to ask the author questions I have about the book. It's it's beyond belief. But I think I, I enjoy reading this book because it is like exploring myself. I love because it's it's uh, you say in the introduction that Genesis is the diagnosis of human nature and then the rest of the Torah is the cure. I love reading those those chapters and going, huh, how would I react if I were Sarah in the situation with Abraham? And yeah. I pushed my husband because I was barren to have a kid with the with the servant with concubine, and that right. you know i like sort of going in and going huh what does that reveal about human nature what what might that reveal about myself and then what's the prescription that's fantastic. it's so fun it's like it's the same thing i like exploring you know painting it's paintings it's my so new are, hobby are you going to be as uh, alluring at 90 as sarah was oh my gosh <laughs> say i'm laughing as sarah laughed <laughs> <laughs> that's great that's a great answer. I love I and by the way, I mean the tours are so fun. It's really, really fun. I know yes. I sound nerdy, but like tour right. tour or uh Torah. Sarah's laughing when God tells uh that her that she'll child. have a child. Right. And then Isaac, her son, it, the name means laughter. That's right. Oh, you really you're really learning it. I, I, it does my heart well, good. Well, you know what? I, I I know that I talk about it a lot. It's another bingo. We've hit so many of the bingo things so far. For those of you, by the way, who don't know what I'm talking about, we have a Dennis and Julie bingo, which is on our Instagram, Dennis Julie Pod, which is very funny. Um, but the reason why I bring up Genesis so much and I reread it is because each time, the more that I command a mastery of the plot, each time I can go back and find fun details. Mm-hmm. that I didn't quite realize before. Like the the first time I read Genesis, I could tell you that that Abraham and Sarah had a baby. I don't think I could have told you that first Abraham had a baby with the servant called Ishmael and that Isaac meant laughter. Only the second time around do I pick up on those rich details which make the story better. That's the reason we Jews who read it every year through in 52 parts never get tired of it this year you've got diet goals and factor is here to help you achieve each and every one of them fuel up fast with ready to eat nutritious meals delivered straight to your door leaving you time and energy to tackle everything on your to-do list achieve and maintain your 2023 goals with factor get america's number one ready to eat meal kit and start saving time eating well and living your best year yet Too busy to cook? With Factor, skip the trip to the grocery store. Skip the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up, too. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals 
are ready in just two minutes. So all you have to do is heat and enjoy. No matter your lifestyle, Factor has delicious, flavor-packed meals to help you live it to the fullest with keto, calorie-smart, vegan, and veggie protein plus options on the menu each week. Prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians, each meal has all of the ingredients that you need to feel satisfied all day long. With 34 chef-prepared, dietitian-approved weekly options, there's always something new to try. Plus, you can round out your meal and replenish your snack supply with an assortment of 36-plus sweets, smoothies, juices, and more satisfying add-ons. Want to cut back on takeout? Get Factor instead. Not only is Factor cheaper than takeout, but meals are ready faster than restaurant delivery in just two minutes. Eating vegan and veggie is a snap with Factor. Because each meal is prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians. you know that your Factor meal has all of the ingredients that you want and nothing that you don't. And if you're looking to mix it up, you can add a protein to select vegan and veggie meals each week. Get Factor and enjoy clean eating without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivery straight to your door. Ready in just two minutes. No prep. No mess. Head to factormeals.com slash Julie50 and use the code Julie50 to get 50% off your first box. That's code Julie50 at factormeals.com slash Julie50 to get your 50% off your first box. And that's the thing. What's amazing about it, and I think what what in in part demonstrates that it is divinely written, is that you you can read the it layers. in infinite. Yes, and find so it, many it, new things. It's an archaeological dig. You know another thing that you that I recently found in this that that you highlighted is that the way that Ishmael again that's Abraham's first son and Isaac both almost die is similar and that they were Ishmael was sent away from Abraham with the servant and then she then um he was going to starve and then an angel came down and spoke to the to the servant, I think her name is Hagar, right? Mm-hmm. And said, "I'll give, I'll give you food." And left. And then, in this, in a similar way, Isaac was was going to be sacrificed, and an angel yeah, came I, down. I, and said, I didn't make that point. That's an original one to you. No, trust me, you did. <laughs> you wrote it. I in did. There. Yeah. Wow. I would love to take credit for it, but I, I, I can't do that. You, I don't you, remember you said all it. my points. It's painful. Okay, wait. Sorry, I know. I know that I. Okay. This is like a nerd fest. But before I ask my questions, do you remember what I sent to you a few days ago? It was so good. And oh, I remember it. Dennis had this amazing line in the Torah commentary, and I want to bring it up because we were talking about Eric Metaxas's conversation with you about faith and good works. Okay, this is the line, and I'm glad that that I brought it up because you say it so eloquently. While faith without works is dead, works without faith mm-hmm. also ultimately die. That is so true. People focus so much on that first part, faith without works. But then people people don't talk about works, works without faith. Right. And, we, and that's, that is arguably the, the, the main problem today. Because let's say you, 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 know, you talk to a Christian about the relationship between works and faith. The Christian, because the Christian is faithful, is going to behave well. M- most Christians who you would have this debate with. But then on the flip side, I talk to many secular people who don't have faith and their works are collapsing. They well, don't feel society. that they have to. I mean, it's it's everywhere. What, what, what is drag queen study hour? Story. Yeah, stu- uh, sorry? Drag queen story hour. Yeah, story hour. Drag queen... St- 
What is Drag Queen Story Hour, if not an example of the deterioration of works in a in a God free Bible free right. society that that adults think it is a good thing to expose five year olds eight year olds to men dressed as women period and in in doing provocative dances second right I, agreed so. Actually, my first question for you pertains to our faulty human nature. So it's it's a nice it's a nice segue. So what do you do? You make notes to ask me while yeah. you read. I love that. You love it that you get me to ask, and it's I so love cool. it that you do well. It's so cool that somebody uh, of of your caliber. And I'm not I'm not stroking you. Obviously, it it, it means a tremendous amount to me. Okay, go ahead. Well, also, I mean, this is also very selfish. On my part, like I want to be the best person that I can be. I want to right. reach Is my it... potential, and I really feel like if I get this, I'm better equipped to By do that. By the way, your statement—you want to be the best person you could be. Millions of kids in America for two, three generations be the best you can be, but your best is not the same as that best. Your best is moral best. Yes. Ethical, intellectual yes. best. Their best is amorphous. Athletic. Well, athletic, professional, career. Right. Uh, happy. Uh, it, it, there is, it, it's not even clear what it is. Best what? Yes, it's. I would it, like to ask that of, of a parent. Says, oh, be the best you can be, a son, daughter. What do you mean by that? It's best sort of what? do what you want to do and be the best that, at it. That, that's right. And, that, and, and you're right. No, and no, that's no, not how I view by it. By the way, it isn't even, no, it isn't even be the best at it. Do whatever you want. And that means you will be doing yes, the best. Yes. You don't have to be better than it's anybody. True. Okay. So first one, and you know, I have been just loving this story of late, the Tower of Babel story, chapter 11. I love it. I think that's one of the best in the entire tour. It's it's brilliant. It is brilliant. So I'd like to ask you this question. And by the way, it's the same question that I would ask of the the, uh, Garden of Eden story. I get, well, first of all. Well, you did about God coming down and saying, let us. Oh, no, No, I don't think that's what it was. Okay, I'm sorry. No, no, that's okay. Yeah. One of the things that I really appreciate that you write in this in this Torah commentary, just to you know, re- reason number eight thousand why I like it, is that you you say that um, that after Adam and Eve eat from from the tree of knowledge, God comes down and He doesn't levy punishment. He he states consequences. That's right. Yes. That that women will have pain during childbirth. That right. men will have to toil the field, etc. And I and I really appreciated and it made sense to me that distinction you made between consequence and punishment, because God created men this way to have both the proclivity, proclivity excuse me, to sin and also the proclivity to overcome it. And it's and it's a similar sort of thing here in the Tower of Babel story because the story starts out with these these people coming together wanting to build this tower in the sky to make a name for themselves. And it's a little weird because like God created human beings to be that way. God created us to seek fame, to to seek making a name for ourselves. And so when he comes down and he and he says that he you know 
He says, if this is what uh, human beings are doing with just one language, then nothing that they wish to do will be out of their reach. And he confounds their language. The way that that's written also, not unlike chapter three of Genesis with the Garden of Eden story, it's also not positioned as a punishment. It's positioned as a consequence. Like, I need to scatter them about the world so that they don't do this. So I guess my question is, why did God make us this way if he was just going to kind of come down and correct it? Does that make sense? Yeah. So I've dealt with this internally and and in writing and speaking, but especially internally. So I'll give you a, a different variation back to one of our favorite themes and then back to the specifics here. So my father who philosophized at the Shabbat table. That, that's where I heard what he thought. We, we, we almost didn't speak during the week. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying a fact of my upbringing. Anyway, I, from high school on, I didn't eat at home during the week. I ate out and did, did what I wanted at night. Uh, so, but, but Shabbat Friday night and Saturday meals, which, as you know, are hours and hours long. They don't end, essentially, uh, is a time for every type of talk, the most serious and the most fun, or both, often the serious is fun. My father spoke about sexual matters with the ease with which you would speak about the weather. Uh, it, it was a, a part of his nature, and I inherited it. I was either in, I either inherited it genetically or inherited it through culture. And our Shabbat crew inherited uh, it, too. Yeah, the, the, well, <laughs> yes, right. So it's not... Un, it's not it's not common, but it's not unique to my dad, right. but it was not not common at all. He was very open. Anyway, he would say, and he was a, he not only believed in God, he loved God. And that, that's different for me. I believe in God, and I find it hard to love God. But that, that, it's not a, we could talk about that, but that's not my issue. I just wanted to be open and honest. So he would say, this God lover of my father, Orthodox Jew as well, and he would say, there's one thing I just don't understand. Why did God make the male sex drive so strong? We could have easily reproduced if men had half the sex drive. They'd still want to reproduce. Even if you look at men's proclivity to violence, I mean, not that God... I'm, in your dad's right, example, God Right, but it is God built wants. in. But right. It is built he could in. have reduced a lot. That's right. And created yes. a lot less Look, I, you know what, I'll issues. tell you, I don't, I think that I agree with my dad uh, in large measure on the sex question, but I, I have it really, really deeply when I read about men torturing other human beings. Right. Why isn't there a mechanism that just shuts it off at a certain point of evil? So, well, so, so, all right, so... The only answer that I have come up with, and, and it's intellectually but not emotionally satisfying, there is no emotionally satisfying answer, is that this full possibility of infinite evil is matched by infinite good, that the human being can do anything, and uh, all... That's one. I have I have a few thoughts. Another one on the sex drive. I have met men, not often, but I have met men where I thought their sex drive was half of what a man that age would normally have. I, I, I didn't know it from personal experience. 
they were not gay, and, I, and I'm not gay, and I didn't have sex with them. You're not? No, I'm kidding. No, 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 I'm uh, just letting you know. And, and so I, I can't say, I, of course I didn't know it from personal experience or from speaking to his wife, but I, we have met people where you sense they have a low drive. They're low energy, they have low drive. So maybe that, that drive is what drives men. Oh, well, certainly. That's forgive me. I, no, I, no, I please, know it's been a long time, but but Freud said that the work we do, we men do, is the sublimated sex drive. You can't go for polygamy. You can't have adultery. So, what are you going to do with it? And you you channel it into work. There are certain things like that, male sex drive, that I can sort of see the wisdom or the design behind it, that it ha- certainly has its downsides. But it, certainly in, in with what you're saying, I think it's true that what, what facilitates men's energy is their sex drive. But as far as, you know, something like this, you know, where he, he, in this Tower of Babel story that we have a proclivity to be greedy and fame-seeking – that story, as much as I love it, also sort of struck me as like, is God is like sending us through a maze only to halfway through know that we're going to reach, hit a wall. And, you know, and it, like why, if he made us this way to be fame seeking and he lets like everyone build the tower just to knock it down, why did he even implant the, every, okay, the greediness so in the first virtually place? Virtually every one of these crappy aspects of human nature has a good side to it. True. So you you want to marry a man or raise a boy that does want to make a name for himself, but not through stupidity like tall buildings. Right. Maybe through kindness. Maybe through a, a symphony writing. Uh, uh, but that drive, I'm happy Beethoven wanted to make a name for himself. I'm the beneficiary with his awesome music. Right. Well, one could respond, God could make men such that they want to create a name for themselves, but he could get rid of the stupid part. He also implanted okay, the, the, the stupid-seeking right, part. Then we're robots. Then we're robots. Well, exactly. I mean, that uh, that makes sense. I take that. Okay, shall we move on? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I don't mean to design this like a, like a seminar. Uh, where uh, no, no. It's not. Uh, look, everything comes up. I'm glad beyond words that you're doing this. And also, I think it facilitates I mean, a good discussion. Yes, of course it does. It's got everything in there. This is, this is my life's understanding of life. Look, I got to I got to tell you, and I, I, I feel really self conscious saying this because a, our viewers make fun of us for complimenting, and b, we make fun of us for complimenting. This is an, this is extraordinary. This is life changing stuff. The, the Bible's life-changing stuff, and the way that you explain it is life-changing stuff. I know stuff. it is. There is I, nothing... I, 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 don't, I say it like I didn't write it. And, uh, and honestly, a, yes. again, and I, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry to be doing this, because I get if I, were, if I were the audience at home, my ears would be bleeding because of the compliments. I'm sorry. But I view, throughout my day, nothing, no task is more important in my life right now than reading this and, and knowing it. I think that will help me in my career. I think it will help me in my personal life. I think it will help me grow morally. I every single day if I didn't read this, mm. I, I swear to God, I know it sounds suck uppy and it probably is, but it's, I feel like no, okay, I didn't push myself forward. It's really sad that, that you feel that way. Okay. I don't take it nobody takes it that way. Anyway, what are, what are you gonna get from me? 
What, what are you seeking? One percent. What I said a last higher week. Position, more money. One I mean, percent I of your commission. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. Let's let's go on. So, the the uh, blessing, or I guess the covenant that that God establishes with with Abraham, very important to note. Just I know you get this, but I want to say it to the audience. And I love this about the Torah. It's probably my favorite thing. The Torah doesn't start off with the Jews. The Torah starts off making it clear that God is a God of all humanity. Right. He views everyone as equal. And when he is establishing the covenant with the Jews, it's to, as you say, it's making an agreement. I will keep you alive if you keep me alive. You are the chosen people, not that you are superior, but you and are chosen. Says, not you're yes, superior. You are chosen to do a task which is to bring the Torah to the world. Right. That's really important because b- prior to reading this, I thought how arrogant the Jews think they're the chosen people. You know, right. they're the they're the best out of everyone, but that's not anyway, what it means Anyway, chosen never meant best, to, uh, of aside course. from everything else. By, by the way, just, just to note, the universality of the Torah is, is awesome. Who saves Moses? A non-Jew. Who is the greatest single advisor to Moses? Well, so the non-Jewish daughter is Pharaoh's daughter, which is unbelievable in itself. Pharaoh's the villain, and and the villain, it's like Hitler's daughter saved Jews. It would be the, uh, analogous. They cuz he wanted the oh, the baby right. the baby boys uh the Hebrew baby boys drowned. Who who is the greatest advisor? Who saves Moses again professionally? Jethro, a Midianite priest. His this one you'll love. I get the chills whenever I tell this. Why didn't God give the Torah, or specifically the Ten Commandments, in Israel? He gave it in the Sinai. De- he gave it in the desert. That's every man's land. God did not give the Torah in the Jews' land. It's for everybody. That's that's a really excellent point. That's true. And even just, I mean, the ones you mentioned are more important, but you also highlight the more subtle points where God doesn't anoint always the first child. In fact, in a lot of the stories, Cain and Abel being one of them, the second child is the one that, I mean, there are so many ways that he confounds the the moral order of the day. Actually, that's correct. In, In every instance, the younger sibling outshines the older to undo the notion that the older is better. Yes, and there, and there was... Moses and Aaron, uh, 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 Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his brothers, uh, uh, Isaac and Ishmael, uh, it, it, and, and you and you mentioned Cain and Abel, and even the way God, you know, you you actually, I was just reading it this morning that that God um, legislates more about uh, fair treatment of animals in the Torah than He does about the Sabbath. That's also morally there revolutionary. Are, oh, it, I mean, all, so cons- much of it is morally revolutionary. Uh, yes, and the pe- and by the yes. way, we, we're going to move on to the questions. And the left thinks that this is a bigoted document. It is. This well, is a, this, think, uh, this document and, is equity. They think anything that preceded them is crap. The Constitution <laughs> and the Bible are two perfect examples. They're better than both. It's actually, un- I, I mean, I don't think that the Torah is liberal or conservative. The Torah is moral. The Torah is truth. But <laughs> I think it w- would amaze so many people. I want to actually, I'm going to do this. I'm going to write down some bullet points of things. Bet you didn't know this about the Bible, mm-hmm. what you just mentioned, and, and hand it to people. Because these people that wag their fingers and they say the Bible's so awful and so antiquated, they've never read it. Of course not. They've never read a word. Right. So anyway, okay, let's go to, let's go to this question. So with the, the covenant uh, with Abraham, 
where the Jews are established as the chosen people. God never calls them the Jews right. in that chapter. So, Well, they're not the Jews even in the Torah. So spoiler alert. Uh, I don't know why I said spoiler alert. That's not what I meant to say. Um, what did I mean to say? Oh, sorry if this is a stupid question. How do we know that the blessing is to the Jews? It's to, it's to the it's seed to Abraham. of Abraham. It's to the kin of Abraham, you said? Seed. The seed of Abraham. Right. Right, but but again, how do we know that that's the Jews? And by the way, is this the is this why they call Christianity and Islam and Judaism Abrahamic religions? Yeah. History repeats itself, and we're seeing that play out right now with inflation. When Jimmy Carter took office in the late 1970s, gold sold for $140 an ounce. By 1980, the price of gold topped out at $870 an ounce. If today's market performs like it did when Carter was in office, the price of gold could skyrocket from $1,800 an ounce to $9,300 an ounce. This is Julie Hartman for AmFed Coin and Bullion. Don't miss out on a great opportunity to purchase precious metals while the prices are still stable. If history repeats itself, we'll see a run on gold, silver, and platinum that could drive up prices. Be smart and buy now. At AmFed, you're dealing with specialists who provide you with personalized attention, honest information, and sound advice. You won't be pressured into buying outrageously priced so-called collectible coins or anything that you don't need. Take advantage of today's prices by going to AmFed Coin and Bullion. 1-800-221-7 or AmericanFederal.com. That's AmericanFederal.com. So can you explain how we know it's the Jews? Right. Well, we know and, it's the Jews because he took the Israelites out of Egypt, and that's the people that he says, you shall be for me a chosen people, a, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That Not the Ishmaelites. He doesn't say it to them. Right, but, but starting in Genesis. Yeah, but you, you, you have to read the rest of the story. If right. you stop, if if the if the Torah stopped with that, you would ju- you could think it's those who are all seed of of Abraham, including Ishmael. So, related question. Well, actually, first, I'd like you to tell me, please, why why they're all referred to as Abrahamic religions. But before I forget, why did God not allow the, his the chosen people to go through Ishmael? He was very clear it was going to go, go through Isaac. Okay. Well, wait. So you might as well ask, why did God? choose abraham we don't have a clue it, well and well by the way, yeah, so, yeah i'm sorry to interrupt you yeah. you actually sort of uh, argue otherwise here you say originally you don't you don't know why but god chose abraham but then you see is. what kind of man he is all right that that's fair but but he, he, could, he could have chosen noah obviously the, the the fact is it doesn't matter whom god chose god could have chosen you know a, a, a guy in mongolia fair enough and that, and that would have been the the Israelites, right? And the chosen the the, the Holy Land could have been Ulan Bator in in, in, in in Mongolia. I'm not kidding. I, I know you're not. It's I mean, just it, funny. It, it, it would, so they would be the bearers of the Torah, and 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 they would carry on hopefully the mission of bringing the world to the Torah. The the irony, as I point out to Jews all the time, is it's mostly Christians who brought the world to the Torah. The world knows of, of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy because of Christians. The Jews gave it to the world, but the Christians spread it. Look, I'm a Christian lover, as are you. <laughs> I'm a Christian. I mean, I was born a Christian myself. But, I mean, in large part, that's due to the fact that Jews are so small as a people. Well, in law, and persecuted terribly. They were right. preoccupied with surviving, not spreading. That's correct. Yes, it's all correct. So, I'm, I'm not—but, I'm not, but by the way, today— I do blame Jews. 
They should be spreading the Torah. I can't disagree. Men give birth. That it is said by many Jews, not not just non-Jews, obviously, massive numbers of non-Jews, who are the great majority. Yes. Uh, if you take the Torah seriously, you cannot say men give birth. You cannot say sex is not binary. Well, the thing that bothers me, and this is a total tangent, is that a lot of... And by the way, this is not to pick on the Jews. <laughs> I would say the same of of other of Christians and and others who may do this. But what I dislike is when Reform Jews specifically uh, say that you sort of twist the words of the the Bible. I'm not say, I'm not certainly trying to say all Reform Jews do this, but I know a fair amount of Reform Jews who do not take the Torah seriously and who sort of say that the Torah says things that it doesn't. And I just think that's an affront to Judaism. It's one thing well, to not oh, believe look, or not practice, but the, don't the, distort it. It's as common in Christianity. Uh, to- of course. Yeah, of no, course. no, no. And I'm, I'm not saying this to defend the Jews. I'm saying it to show that the problem is gigantic. Yes. It's not just, I mean, it's well, not just pertaining well, to the Jews. Look, it's, uh, the we whole, Americans do it with our constitution. We, right, it's not, we, right, people do it all right, the time. But, you, exactly. But we're talking about chosenness. We're talking about bringing the Torah. That's why I, I mentioned That's it. why I, you know, my dream, uh, and I, I don't, I'm a little annoyed with myself for not really pushing PragerU to do this. Uh, and for the record, I don't set policy at PragerU. I don't do hiring at PragerU. He actually doesn't. I was shocked no, by oh, that oh, when I, I met no, you. No, and it's, it's a very healthy thing that I don't. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm the public figure of PragerU. I'm Prager. I mean, it makes perfect sense. But I'm not. The, I'm not the runner of it, and I don't want to be. But I, it doesn't mean I don't have any clout. <laughs> I, I do have some. Yeah, clout yeah, you got some at clout. PragerU. And I, I, my dream is to put up billboards. We have the budget. Is is to put up billboards. I know this idea, and I love it. That you know, just. Reminder, God judges you. He doesn't only love you. You say that you're upset with yourself for not pushing that on PragerU. I witnessed you do it at the PragerU Gala in November of uh, 2022 on stage with Jordan Peterson. You said, I'm looking at you, Alan and Marissa. So anyway, you did did your part. I have to do it off stage. So with the Abrahamic religions, can you explain that? Well, the, the, those who regard Abraham as, as their progenitor, the, as, as their father, as it were. So that's Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. But uh, uh, I, I, that's fine. It sounds good. I, I don't find all that much meaning in it. The, the, because Judaism and Islam don't share much, to be honest. And it's not anti-Islam, just uh, Judaism and Buddhism don't share much. But Judaism and Christianity share a Bible, the Old Testament. There are no two religions that have that. That's why Judeo-Christian is is factually accurate. Right. So w- I understand that the reason why they were they are called Abrahamic religions is because each traces its patriarch to Abraham. But do Muslims think that they are the sort of chosen line, yes, if that you is will? Correct. Okay. Yes. And do, they and are do the, Christians? They are the only ones who got the message from God right. Jews and Christians distorted it, and Muhammad, through the angel Gabriel from Allah, made it accurate. So, again, uh, disclaimer, that's what I wanted to say instead of spoil, spoiler alert. Disclaimer, stupid question. Do, but Muslims don't abide by the, the Torah. I mean, I know they don't, but they don't. That's right. 
So, well, but then where would they be getting that from if not the Torah? The Abraham, more, the chosenness, oh, the, Abraham, oh. the Abrahamic line no, no, of chosenness. So they, no, no, they call Jews and Christians uh, people of the book. I don't know if they call Christians. I assume they do, yes. But I know they call Jews that, uh, Umal Kitab, the, the, the people of the book. And be, the book meaning the, the Bible. They don't say the Bible is all wrong. They say oh. that Jews and Christians tampered with it. So they sort of... See they the, take what they want. They take what they want. Okay. Right. All right. Fair enough. That makes sense. And and before we move on, do Christians see themselves as as the continuation of the chosen people okay, so through Abraham? Or? So there there are two views that have prevailed in Christianity. Are are we the new Israel or are we the second Israel? Yeah, that's the American that's my founders question. said second Israel. America was the second Israel. But the first one is the Jews. But there have been Christians, Catholic and Protestant, uh, who have said, we, since Jesus came, we are the chosen, as it were. We are Israel. The The ancient Israel is now irrelevant. Right. With the, we're the new Israel through Christ. So that's the way, so it's been a mixed reaction and uh, it, it, the the second is is inauthentic biblically, and had horrific results for Jews because they were often persecuted as a result. I'm sorry. The what had horrific results? For no, the I Jews. know, but what did I the didn't... idea that we have replaced you? It's called replacement oh, theology. Yes, yes. Okay. No, I, I I understand that, but as far as like almost like the genetic line, like do Christians see themselves as a continuation of the pro- the Israelite progeny of of Abraham, or do they? No, okay. They're, they're the theological progeny. Got it. Okay. Correct. Oh, but are, but arguably, aren't we all the the uh, genetic yes. progeny of Abraham? You, you mean theological progeny? Genetic. I mean, the Abraham. I mean, there weren't Abraham. Isaac married Abraham's. All right, uh, so that's the that's the Muslim, niece or that, something. That's the Semitic. Uh, that's the Arab world. Okay, but it doesn't count for the if if your ancestors came from Germany, Denmark, Holland. You look Northern European. So if your if your ancestors came from Northern Europe, they're, they're not the progeny of Abraham. So Christians don't view themselves as the genetic Correct. progeny, that the theological, right. whereas Jews yeah. view themselves as the genetic right. and Muslims. Although, view them- although even that needs to be understood because you can convert to Judaism. Right. Uh, Ruth well, Ruth does in in in, in the book. It's my of middle Esther. name. Is it? It is. Maybe it was uh, foretelling something. Maybe it was. But anyway, it, she said, and it was great. That's really, that's true conversion. She said, "Your, I'm trying to think. It was God or people came first, but it doesn't matter. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. That because Jews are both a people, which is not true for Christians. Christians are a religion only." Right. Jews are a religion, and that—that's ethnicity. Why, Jews are an ethnicity. But, as well. Yeah, but you can convert to it, so right. it's not an ethnicity. So, anyway, there are black Jews, Ethiopian Jews, or Jews, right? And Arab Jews, yeah, which is the half majority of Israel. in Israel, right? Yeah. So, but, but do Muslims view themselves as both the theological and yes, the genetic that's, descendant? That's correct. Interesting. Yes. Okay. Wow. 
Well, I got yeah, a lot of... Is, yeah, this is a great uh, learning session. That's true. It, it, yeah, because Christians, it's theological. Jews and, and Muslims, it's genetic and theological. Right. We should make a Venn diagram. Okay. So uh, speaking of Israel, obviously this is a, an incredibly contested uh, subject. The assigning of the land. Right. Repeatedly in Genesis, God says that he's going to assign this land to... Uh, I have here quote, I will sign this land to your offspring. I have chapter 17, chapter 15, later in chapter 15, just many, many, many different examples of it. Um, I just want to read one just, just so we have it. Um, yep. I am the Lord God who brought you out of your, or you are. Or, <laughs> or. that's where Abraham came from Ur of Chaldees. To assign this land to you as a possession. I mean, that, that just to read, just to read an example. But he, but God says that many times. So then, what's interesting is that later in Genesis, I think it's like chapter twenty-two or twenty-three. Abraham, after Sarah dies, Abraham is looking for a cave to bury her, and that chapter makes it incredibly clear that Abraham purchases the cave in Canaan. Canaan, sorry, excuse me, I know better, in Canaan for Sarah. And it also says in that chapter, and you you make strong note of this, that Abraham legally purchased the cave and the surrounding area. So then you write that this is an example that even though God promised something, you as a human being have to take action to bring that into fruition. You just can't let God, you know, think God owes you something and just let it fall out of thin air. So my question for you is, did God promise it? And then in that chapter was when Abraham kind of sealed the deal and bought the land? Or was – basically, is that where Jews trace their their right to live in Israel, to Abraham officially, legally That's getting right. that land? Yes. Or do they trace it to the mere fact that God intended both. and wanted both. them to be in the land? I think both. But, of course, he didn't buy the whole land. He just bought the area around the, the, uh, her, her burial site. Right. So – that doesn't really mean that he got all of Canaan. No, right, correct. So then how do Jews today claim biblically well, that, that well, it's, the, the land is theirs? Okay, because, well, even putting aside God's promise, let's say you're an atheist and a Jew, which exists, because Jews are a people, not, you could be an atheist American, right? You could be an atheist Jew. Uh the only nation as a nation that ever had sovereignty in that land since the Canaanites, which is 3,000 years ago, in 3,000 years, the only sovereign states in that area were Jewish. No, I comprehend that. I'm talking biblically because there are a lot of Jews in Israel. Oh, I, I, oh, I was bibli- excluding biblically. Yes, no, but, no, I'm no, asking no, specifically God, biblically. God promised, I mean, the same God who gave the Ten Commandments and we listened to, one listens to is the God that said, this is, I'm, uh, I want you to live in this land. And by the way, with, with all the problems that, that moderns have with that, there is another way of looking at this, just that land. Right. Islam went in one generation and took over all of North Africa, convert or we kill you. There's no cop, there's no concept, let alone practice of that in Judaism. Outside the borders of Israel, Jews have no right for one millimeter of the world's 
Earth. And they haven't gotten it either. And, God knows. Right. And they don't, nor do they ever think about having it. Right. God, for whatever reason, we don't have an answer to that. God wanted this area of the world to embody his experiment in ethical monotheism and in holiness. And and if you don't act decently, I'll kick you out. He keeps saying that in the Torah. And I say this with without even trying to make any implications about the the conflict or, or anything, but when you go to Israel, you can really feel the holiness. You can understand yes. why God wanted right. some you, religious people way, to live there. And you're saying this, it's important that people understand, you're saying this is a non-Jew not, yep. and not a particularly religious non-Jew. Yep. You, you didn't have a strong Christian upbringing. And especially I went a year ago, I was I was less religious than I am now, that, right. you know? Yes. So, no, it is, I think... Even my secular atheist friends who were on the trip said that that going to Israel challenged their belief because they could feel wow, it. Wow, that's amazing. And I know and when someone – if someone said that to me a few years ago, yes, oh, you, you can feel, feel it, it, I'd be yes. like, oh, you can feel it. No, oh, no, great. Uh, uh, it's, it's true. And, uh, and it's not explainable. No, it's not. Uh, but I agree with you. It's so funny when I say things now. I, 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 I can, It's not New Jersey East. It's not. And it's not L.A. East. East or right. Central. Yes. <laughs> but – I just want to, before we move on, sometimes when I speak, I think about how myself five years ago would react. Wow. And I wouldn't be disgusted, but I would be like, oh. What's going on here? Yeah, what, you're like, weirdos. Yeah. Yes. I think that's that's really important. And I want you to preserve that voice in you forever. Oh, it's there. Because you will always be effective then. I remember fighting with someone about abortion like three years ago and saying that it was really, really bigoted for someone to be pro-life. Me. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's... You were normal. Now you're an outlier. That's right. So Bravo, or <laughs> technically, brava. This is why this is so rich, because uh, this one example I have a million questions about, and each are different, fascinating theological strands. So, okay, we've, we've kind of come to a conclusion about the, the land assignment. Just when you thought it couldn't get any better, Mike Lindell with MyPillow is launching the MyPillow 2.0. When Mike invented MyPillow, it had everything you could ever want in a pillow. Now, nearly 20 years later, he discovered a new technology that makes it even better. The MyPillow 2.0 has the patented adjustable fill of the original MyPillow and now with a brand new fabric that is made with a temperature-regulating thread. The MyPillow 2.0 is the softest, the smoothest, and the coolest pillow you will ever own. For our exclusive listeners, the MyPillow 2.0 is buy one, get one free with the promo code HARTMAN. MyPillow 2.0 temperature regulating technology is 100% made in the USA and comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Just go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square to get the buy one, get one free offer. Enter the promo code HARTMAN or call 1-800-566-6745 to get your MyPillow 2.0s. But now I want to talk to you about whether God knows or doesn't know about what human beings are going to do. So, and I asked you about this over the phone. We, we had an interesting discussion about it, but I'd like to raise it again here because there's a part I'm still confused about. So let's take this example. God repeatedly promises Abraham the land of Israel. I will give this to you. Your inhabitants will be here. 
when I asked you on the phone, doesn't that mean that God knows what will happen? You say, no, that's a promise. You know, just as God says, I, I will deliver you from the land. Your, 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 um, your offspring will be strangers in a land that they do not know, but then I will deliver them in, after four centuries. You say that God's making a promise, and obviously he knows if he's going to fulfill a promise. But he has – I don't know if this makes sense, but he – that sort of does require knowing in the future that he can fulfill his promise. And I, and I suppose that makes sense because God out of anyone can, like, I, I don't know, even if I make a promise to someone, I'm a human being and I truly don't know unless I do it, if I can fulfill the promise, God is different. But do you see what I mean? It still sort of implies. Well, God knows what he'll do, but he doesn't know necessarily what we do. I'm conflicted. Well, yeah, go on. Well, sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but another example is Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. He talks about how the people there are uh, evil, evil right. and that they're – or he says the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Right. That means that he knows that it will be completed. He knows that the Amorites will have to be destroyed. Right, but it all, and it also means he won't intervene. He's waiting for humans to screw up. Right. In this case, the Amorites, okay? Right. Which is, by the way, I, I sort of jumped just for clarity of the audience, different than Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. That's a different example. Correct. But when he says the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete, that implies that he knows, he, not yet complete, so, yes. that right. he knows so that it are, will be complete. There, there are implications in both directions. Does, again, to make it clear to those listening, does God know the future? And there is only one doubt and that is the human future, because we can we can do what we want. Free will. At, God knows what a dog will do, because a dog is programmed by its genes and, 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 and environment. But, a, 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 well, I guess to the extent that it's by its environment, I don't know, maybe God does or doesn't know exactly what a dog will do. But by the way, these things don't bother me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't care if God knows the future or not. I only care if we have free will. The constraints on free will are not God's knowledge of what we'll do. The constraints on free will are our nature and our environments. I I always use the horrible example of men who are attracted to prepubescent boys or girls. In a normal man, a prepubescent boy or a girl might as well be a giraffe. Am I sexually attracted to a giraffe? No. Am I sexually attracted to a prepubescent boy or girl? No. The, the, it, doesn't, it doesn't occur to, to most men. Forget women, obviously. So the guy who is attracted... I mean, there are, there are men who rape babies. I mean, it, the, do they have free will? And I, well, look, what I think they did is, is, is beyond belief evil. What, and they deserve do, to be punished. Yeah, of course. Whether or not... No, I'm no, yes, clarifying oh, yes. for no, your protection. Totally, 100%. But... I'm bothered. I'm I'm just bothered by the notion. Do they really have free will? I mean, what what drives you to do something like that? And and do the do the men who want to do that? Are there any men who suppress the urge? But does God know that they're going to do that, okay, that okay, on this that, discussion? No, no. I I made a different subject, oh. and I'm going to come. I'm sorry. coming back. No, you don't have to be sorry. I'm glad you did that so I can clarify again. This does not have anything to do with God. 
This I'm simply saying the constraints on free will are not God's omniscience. They are human nature. Is that am I clear? In other words, people say, oh, God knows the future, then we don't have free will. If God knows what I'm going to do tomorrow, then then I can't choose not to do that tomorrow. That's what people think from a who challenge the Bible. But you can. I mean, God can know what you'll do tomorrow. But... And I still have free choice? By the way, you are citing a rabbinic phrase, which I'm sure you'll recall when I say it to you in Hebrew, hakol tzafui v'harashut nitna. Oh, of course. Right. Everything. <laughs> Makes total sense. So it's exactly what you said. It'll crack you up. Everything is foreseen, but permission is given. But free choice still exists. Okay, but this is this is not a entirely uh, great analogy. But I have some friends. Okay, this is okay. I don't know why this is the only thing I can think of. There were people I knew in college who liked to drink. Okay, and when it would come around to Saturday night, usually they'd get pretty trashed. Okay. Shows the Dennis and Julie podcast. We can only talk about like God's omnipotence and knowing the future, and then also bring in a subject. Yeah, just, it's just purposes. so funny. Yeah. It's just so us. I don't know if they're going to get trashed on Saturday and need but to be he, right. carried back to their room, but yeah, but I you, know you, that they're going to do your, that. You would bet yes. your, uh, your bank account. I understand it. it's not the same, right? But no, no, no. I know that. I have, I have it on the freeway. Right? I, I'll tell you when I have it. I'm driving in obviously one direction, the other side of the freeway, the other direction. There's a crash on the other side, yes. and ev- all the lanes are stopped. Right. I know that five minutes from now, the cars that are still driving, I know they will stop within five yes. minutes. Yes. So, so they have free will not to stop. Right, but, but you know I know that what do they'll it. do. Yes, but by the way, the, but to be totally accurate, I don't. I my I assume it with great degree of certitude. Right, but it's but not I don't knowing. Know. He okay. He may crash into the the last car. But that but God knowing doesn't mean that he controls it. That's right. Agreed. So that's that so, is so that's where the argument doesn't hold up. So I get I'll it. I'll tell but... you the only the only biblical. F- uh, verse that makes me think that God does not know what we'll do. I know what you're going to say. All right, so say it. It made him saddened. Yes. When God saw how human beings acted, he got sad. In the Garden of Eden. No, 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 no. In in, in, in the bad world that he that he decided eventually to destroy. It, oh, was it? It wasn't Garden of Eden. It was okay. about humanity in general. I guess someone knows their Torah better than I do, huh? Not for long. <laughs> so... Uh, when it says God got sad unto his heart, that God got sad, doesn't that imply that he was disappointed? If you're disappointed, it means you didn't expect this to happen. Right, but as you say, and if you want me to take credit for it and think it's an original thought, I will, but you did say it. You know your parents are going to die and you're still sad when it happens. It's unclear. And by the way, i just like to pause the, this discussion and say something, again, that you said that made an impression on me. God created doubt. I think God wants it to be unclear to us. I, I don't. I, in other words, I think God likes to create some ambiguity surrounding His existence, surround, surrounding whether or not He knows the future, because 
then it requires us to do some mental gymnastics, not just so that he can sit back and eat some popcorn and watch us do the mental gymnastics. Right. But I think the act of trying to figure it out makes you a better, stronger person. Well, look, it makes you better, stronger just doing what we're doing, in my opinion, studying Torah. Okay, it's my favorite, uh, my favorite religious thing, much more than prayer. But I, I just want to make something clear. I'm very, very uh, preoccupied with, in real life, what does it mean? Whatever the it is. Mm -hmm. Whether or not God knows what we'll do has no impact on me in how I behave. So I rarely uh, rarely meditate on the issue that whose consequence won't affect me in, in either direction. If God knows what I'll do tomorrow, or God doesn't tell what know what I'll do tomorrow, I still have to be a good guy tomorrow. Well, I agree with you there, and I and I really admire that when when you say that because I think it's the right approach. But and this this may be something that you disagree with, and it's still something that I'm sort of mulling over. I want to understand the nature of God so that I can know that God is good. And I know that God is good because of this book, the way that he treats people, his moral revelation. But look, Israel means to struggle with God, and I, like anyone else, struggle with God. And so for me, figuring this stuff out, figuring out whether or not he knows the way we're going to behave in the future, that allows me to better discern if he's a good God. Because if he knows what we're going to do, but then doesn't, you know, Prevented, or you uh-huh. know, so anyway, it's not just a. I think it's interesting, but well, b. It's it, very noble. You, it helps you, me you'll, understand. You'll, you'll be very happy to know that the greatest Jewish thinker who ever lived, Rambam, known in English as Maimonides, eleventh century, twelfth century, and he uh, compiled. He did the greatest compendium of Jewish law. There were six hundred thirteen laws in the Torah, and he says the first law is to know God. It's the most important thing you can do in your life. It really is. And that's what I say about reading this. It's, it's, it it, it See, informs every other aspect of your life. And again, if I had uh, said that uh, so five I, years ago, I heard oh, someone well, yeah, say that, I would have thought, thought they were drunk. a quack. Exactly, yes. of course. By the way, I, I, I know what you say is right. I am far more interested in knowing what God wants than well, knowing God. That's, no, not of course. Right. Uh, that's no. Uh, I think your thing is very noble, it's, and it follows my monitor. I meant what God. I meant both knowing God, and, but I think knowing God is knowing what God wants. Well, if you knew God, you'd still need a compilation of do's and do nots. Fair. You can know God, and and. You will never infer from that. I have to take a day off a week from working. And, but and, you would because it's his. It's his revelation. No, that's well, no, no, that, well, right, but that's no. It's knowing what he wants. In other words, it's not enough to know God. You have to know what I God understand. wants. So before we move on from this, just again, <laughs> the viewers are probably like, "Go on to the next question." But here in Genesis fifteen thirteen, God says, "Know well that your offspring shall be strangers in a land not theirs." The thing I just mentioned, isn't that proof right there that He knows what's going to happen? Yes, but it isn't proof that He knows what we'll do. 
But he does know what we'll do because he knows that those people are going to no, enslave right, the but, Jews. But that's all. He, does, he doesn't know whether you will be uh, a, a, a decent human being in Egypt or an indecent but, but, human but being. That's diff- but that's different. I mean, yes, it's a part of it. Maybe he doesn't know fully what we'll do, but but he knows what we right. will so, do. Yes. Nobody has an ins- issue. Yeah, obviously. He, yes, that's correct. I have no, nothing to add. That is correct. But it doesn't mean he knows that you will be kind to the you Julie will be kind to a stranger tomorrow so i'm sorry to keep pushing but doesn't it though because if he knows if he knows it, that people are going to enslave someone else that, surely he knows whether i'm going to be kind to someone tomorrow well, no. okay so, so does he, he just knows, know the no, macro things but not that, the yes basically i think that i think that's true but i don't have any issue with those who believe it on the individual level it, it that's why i keep saying what difference in terms of the way I lead my life does it make? By the way, this is so male female because I get you as the male or like what? It's like I want who this, cares? Let's move on. I'm like is, we what? need to focus on yes, the one that's spot on the car no, window. Th- you're entirely right. right. Yeah. We, we are bottom line oriented. What's the bottom line? Yes. That that's how the male thinks. That's it's like the you know famous. I want to I want to cure your headache, and and, and, and these the, at least the, the way the. The legend goes, women will say, I, I, we'll worry about that later. First, the, I want you to know about my headache. Like, this doesn't keep you up at night? No. Keeps me up at night is evil. I mean, I'm Okay, not, that I'm keeps not, you up at night, too. But yeah. this this doesn't, I mean, I think about this, like, it. this this bothers me. This, this, con- this of whether or not God knows what. I yeah, want, it doesn't what mean we'll I do. won't be. It doesn't mean I won't no, be no, religious. No, no, I understand. It, not, but it bothers me. By the way, me. I, I, I actually, I honor the fact that it bothers you. I do, but it doesn't bother me because... That's why you sleep better well, than Well, you're probably right. That is true. Our listeners know that we come from two very different generations. One embodies the American dream and the other hardly believes it's possible anymore. But the American dream is still possible and investing makes it easier. That's why I'm excited to introduce you to our friends at monorail.com, America's investment... America's investing app, the investing app made by patriots for patriots. Monorail loves America and they're true conservatives who will help you invest in companies that love America too. They take the guesswork out of investing. Link your bank account to the secure Monorail app and start investing with as little as $5. Monorail offers fractional shares in high-priced stocks so that you can be a big player without the price tag. It only costs $3 a month. Or save money and pay just seventeen dollars and seventy six cents per year. Catch that seventeen seventy six. I told you they love America. Pro investment, pro American money movement, and pro American dream. Monorail.com. Download the app today or go to monorail.com to get started. But also because you can't answer my question. Let's say you resolve it one way or the other. What difference will it make in your behavior? I agree with you. It, it won't make a difference in my behavior, but it does make a difference in how I view God. Okay. What difference will it make in how you view God? If God knows that what is going to happen tomorrow and he doesn't do anything to stop it. Right. Because he wants to give you freedom. You really want him to stop everything bad? Okay. Fair enough. That's a big deal. No, yes. I, no, I, I emotionally want him to stop everything bad. But intellectually, uh, it renders life meaningless. If I can't do bad, and by the way, what level of bad? Okay, so we'll all say, okay, so there can't be a gulag or an Auschwitz, 
right? Okay, we, 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 we acknowledge that. God will stop that. Will God stop every murder? Will God stop every bank robbery? Will God stop stop every embezzlement? Will God stop e- every uh, uh, every bad mouthing of somebody behind? Well, their there's back? also earthquakes, and I know these are the except, but there are earthquakes yes, and there are right. tsunamis. So and right, are, so you know. but then then it is a robot like existence. You might as well be a flower. Well, I know I'm contradicting myself here, but this is this makes for a good uh, intellectually rich discussion. Even though I was saying that it doesn't make sense, like we still have free will, even if God knows what we're going to do. Yeah. Now I may be going back on that. I mean, if God knows what we're going to do, and He created, no, no, I can tell you how you, we can have free will, and God knows how what will. Do. I mean, I thought that ten minutes yeah, ago, yeah, so I yeah, just well, need to no, go. I'll, I'll defend that. <laughs> I, I, logically, I will defend it. God lives outside of time. Right. Time is relative. That that we know since Einstein. So uh, God lives outside of time. So he, he, he knows what will happen, but you, he know, in other words, he knows what you chose. Well, I'll, okay, I'll tell you why it's sort of theological or it poses an issue for me with God. If God knows what's going to happen and God know, knew when he was creating us, it, he could see millennia into the future that we would enslave people, that we would behead people, that we would, I mean, big and small, there would be, horrible, horrible instances of brutality. Yes. Why didn't he change the recipe a little bit? And I get the whole free will thing that we we need Uh to, you know. I don't know the answer. That's a toughie. Why didn't, going back to what you said, why didn't he decrease the male sex drive by 20%? And by the way, I know I'm sort of all over the place right now. Maybe he did. Maybe he did change the recipe. That's a good point. Maybe this is us dial, you know. Maybe men were total blankety blanks before and now they're only half. You know, maybe maybe we were so evil before, and now we're only a percentage of that. We don't know. But if he does well, know the future... Well, I want you future... to know, so you'll love this, because I know you would throw my wife as I do. So here's an interesting one. Yeah. My wife Oh, I know what you're going to say. The, yes. Sorry. A, oh, my God. The viewers don't say a, that. A variation on your question. Yeah. If God really knows the future, why didn't... Why did he save Noah? He should have destroyed the whole world. She actually believes that. She thinks the amount of suffering has been so intense that it doesn't justify the continuity of the human race. Well, I adore her, and she's a very, very intellectual woman, but I totally disagree with that. Because? Because if given a choice between being born and not born, being born into, let me clarify, into being being born in this world or not being born, I would rather be born. Yeah. Granted, I'm really lucky. I have a great That's life. Right. I'm if ab- abundantly have, yeah, blessed. But if you'd have asked the people in Auschwitz or Fair the Gulag, enough. would you? Do you? Are you? Are you happy you were born? They would say no. Well, let me let me challenge that. I I actually disagree with you. I think they would say that they're. I mean, they were fighting for their lives. You know, I think yeah. They were once happy you're born, were no. Born. Once you're born, you want to stay alive. I think they were happy they were born, but I think they 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 didn't. They were unhappy, obviously, with the circumstances that led them to yes. be in Auschwitz. But and you think they would say, "Boy, am I happy I was born"? I think they would express. I think they would want to be born, but not have the circumstance that they were okay, born you're, into. You're, you're, you're avoiding. It's like the kids who, when I ask, "Would you save your dog or a stranger first? They say the dog can the dog can swim. <laughs> Look, it's, don't change the question. 
Uh, of course they would want a world where they weren't in Gulag or Auschwitz. I, I actually, I still disagree because I think they, w- I mean, and again, by the way, this is a particularly touchy subject to have this debate on, you know, with regard to, to people suffering in, in Auschwitz. But um, I think they would, I mean, happy you're born, but I don't think, happy I don't think is the right word. And I know you're going to accuse me of changing the question, but I think they would, if, if you said, would you rather have been born or That's not right. born? Yes, forget happy. I think they would have said, I rather would have been born. Okay. Because if they because if they would rather have not been born, they would have killed themselves right then and there as some did. And by no, the way, I may have done it if I were in that situation. You, right, I, but they fought for their lives. They did. Which but, showed they'd rather be in this world than not. I don't know if not committing suicide and choosing I wish I were born are identical. You may be right. I, I'm not I don't saying know. they're identical, but I but I'm saying that Well, one one inevitably suggests the other. I think they would say saying. that they would rather be born even if even in the circumstance and by the way, this is that is obviously someone who has not even gone something through something close to that thankfully, but I think they would say that they would rather be born than not born, and that's in part why they were fighting for their lives. I, 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 I'm not happy now. <laughs> I knew a lot of uh, survivors. That, that's, that's an interesting question, and that's an answer to Sue. To have a vote among those who have truly suffered through being tortured or some horrific life-eating disease, are you happy? Are, we, no, forget happy. Do you wish you were not born? Well, I'll, I'll tell the audience, and I know we, we bring up my sister a fair amount, but I will tell the audience a personal example. I mean, I struggle with this a lot with Gina, who's my sister with very severe autism. She's been abused and neglected in her group homes. I mean, thank God she's in a better situation now. But there were many years of her life where I prayed for her peaceful death, prayed every day for it. Even when I wasn't religious, I prayed for it because of the way that she was treated. And so I I would think about that all the time. Would I rather have had, would she, even though she's, I mean, she can't speak at all, but, you know, uh, with any kind of understanding, but would she rather have been born even if it meant being in this situation that she was in or not? So I grapple with this a lot. And I think I've come to the conclusion that I think she would, I think she would have rather been born than not because... Hmm. We have such a strong bond. She she has had happy times with us. Thankfully, now she continues to have happy times with us. And I think the suffering might be worth it is sort of the wrong way to put it. But do you understand my sentiment? I, I think she would rather be in this world and be with us and have our love and be in our family, even with the terrible situation she was in, than not. Well, your question is which is not answerable because we we don't have such a vote. Right. It, I, I wish it were were taken. But that is the answer to Sue's question or mm-hmm. Sue's lament. There's right. so much suffering God should have drowned everybody including Noah. But then you wouldn't be here. Sue wouldn't be uh, here, you know. I, I I don't agree with her. It comes from a very noble so, place. So let me her. ask you, do you think the people in Auschwitz, would, if given the choice, would you rather have been born or not born? I, I think it would have been 50-50. Well, that, I mean, I, I agree with that. Yeah. 
But but that that recognizes that there is a significant, well, perhaps right. majority even, even contingent. There, yes. Also, I I assume that a lot of them had hope. If they had no hope, if they knew they were gassed the next day, and Allied troops were not on their way, right? I don't know the answer, and you don't know the nobody knows the answer. I wish it had been asked. They asked them about belief in God. You'll find this interesting. So there's actually a book on the theology of of, of Holocaust uh, camp inmates. And oh, really? I yes. would really love to read yeah, it. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll try to find it for you. It, it was it was published a long time ago, and I read it. So here's the conclusion, uh, based just obviously on those they've interviewed. It was the number of atheists and the number of believers was the same after the concentration camps. Wait, no, 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 but there's a punchline. You're, you're nodding, but there's a punchline. It was the same as, as the number, the number of believers and the number of atheists was the same as before uh, the concentration camps. But a lot of it was a switcheroo. Oh, wow. A lot of the atheists were believers. That makes and sense. And a lot of the believers had been atheists. That makes a lot of sense. Well, I'll tell you what really is fascinating. We all understand why a believer would become an atheist in, in Auschwitz. But why did an, an atheist become a believer in Auschwitz? Oh, I think I understand that. Go more. ahead. There are no yeah. atheists in foxholes. Oh, oh, I see. Yeah, but but this is afterwards. This is not you know, God save me. This is after the liberation that they were tested on their theology. They changed in Auschwitz to believers. Not be, they were no well, longer in Foxholes. I think it's all they had. You know, it was. You have to yeah, cling I, on to I, that. I'm not that sure. Situation. Okay, that might be. That's a very human answer. It's uh, a luxury to not believe. That's what I say to a lot of secular people uh-huh. in America. It's a luxury I had to a, not believe in God. I had a different uh, take. Your take may well be right. I like it. I, I don't. I don't know if I like it, but it, it's. I mean, I like the. I think it's true. Right. My take was, they saw what men can act like, and realized. I'm going to believe in humanity because you, if you, most atheists believe in mankind. Because if you don't believe in God and you don't believe in mankind, you're a very unhappy dude. Yep. So I, I agree with that. I think that's probably the more accurate Interesting. reason. And then, and then the believers who became atheists saw it sort of the different side of God. Like you created these these people you created mankind yeah and look at you what knew you that created. this right and look yes. at what you allowed to yeah. happen well you, you all of your children and and your your wife and your parents are gassed or murdered or shot or buried alive i i got to admit i totally get it there's no god is is a logical reaction yeah i mean i th- i i was thinking about that recently because i'm doing a lot of research on iraq because the 20th uh, anniversary. By the way, I hate saying that word anniversary. It technically does mean the marker of a date, but for but it con- for me at least it connotes something happy. So with like I the one year anniversary yeah. of Ukraine, like yeah. I just think that sounds odd. I, anyway, I don't think people think of it as necessarily a happy day. Go ahead. Um, 
March 20th is, is coming up, which is the 20th anniversary of the invasion. And I have been just reading and watching so many, you know, so much material pertaining to it. And I just kept thinking, here I am in California with a talk show with my favorite author, you know, like having had this blessed life. And then across the world, there, there are these Iraqi children who were killed by Saddam Hussein or by ISIS or Al-Qaeda. Like, how can there be a God? How can there? I did nothing. I did absolutely nothing to get the life that I have. And they did absolutely nothing to get the life that they have. Mm. Boy, this conversation's had a lot of twists and turns. But it's real. It's human. It's very good stuff. It's the best stuff there is. You know, look, I'm sure I said it on Dennis and Julie, but if I didn't, um, let me say it now. On the issue of God and human suffering, the best answer I ever read, and I've read it all, because <laughs> I've really wanted answers, and I realize there aren't on this one. The best I ever read was Milton Steinberg, an American rabbi. The believer in God has to account for the existence of one thing, unjust suffering. The atheist has to account for the existence of everything else. And there's a lot of everything else to account for. What's been interesting is that throughout this conversation, we've sort of switched with, like, I was advocating that it's not a subversion of free will if God knows our future. And then you were originally advocating that, are you kidding? You think someone in Auschwitz would say that they were, and then you just, we've sort of gone in circles or switched points, but that's what God it proves my point. Religion presents contradictions, and you have to find a way to not necessarily reconcile them in the sense that you eliminate them, but reconcile them in, in that you have to... You have to Because they're real in life. Yes. That's a good one. Well, it's called the Rational Bible. I pray people read it. It's my heart and soul and brain went into it, as you know. I, I would say something in return, but I think... Uh-huh, Every, right. Everyone knows how I feel about it. I will spare you. You can reach us at julie at julie-hartman.com. And you can follow us at Dennis Julie Pod on Instagram and Twitter, as the New Englanders would say. <laughs> See you next time. Bye. She want, he wants you to say shalom. Shalom. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.